This is Fish and Fries, an American soccer podcast. I'm Andrew, and this is my co-host, Spencer. We want to bring you an American perspective on the world game. Welcome back to another Fish and Fries, an American soccer podcast. Uh, I'm Andrew, and I am here with Spencer. Spencer, we are back with the Premier League, and of course, City's off to a hot start, man. How you doing? Doing pretty good. Uh, just fresh off of Erling Holland with another two goals. What's new? I feel like a broken record at this point talking about Erling Holland scoring goals. Uh, you know, coming at you on Twitter about it because he scored more goals than the entirety of Chelsea this season, just cyberbullying the fuck out of you, and just happy to be here, man. But but I I, I will say I, I know it wasn't special because the the way I know it's a special goal is because I get a text that is almost always all caps Holland Holland to the tune of the I'll let you you sing it here, buddy. But the Holland, Holland, yeah, I, I am a fan of that. I was sending you the Snapchats earlier in the season every time he scored of just me blaring oh, that text, on my speaker. Text at messages home. that just say Holland, Holland too. Like I mean, so I mean, I guess he had two today, but you know, um, I just want you to hear this from us here personally, Erling. You're not doing enough for Spencer. You're, I mean, you guys are kind of boring. He. They would never treat you like this at Real Madrid. They'd be excited every time. Look what they did for Kareem Benzema. Guy's holding a Ballon d'Or right now. That's how good City look. I have to openly campaign for him to move to a new team. It it might be more of Erling, you're doing so much that I just can't keep bullying Andrew about this forever. At some point, I had to let off a little bit. Um, Not online, though. We found just a new forum to do it, I guess. So um, (laughs) one way or another, you're going to get it, I guess. I I would blame ESPN FC. They threw that stat out there, not me. I just don't shoot the messenger is all I would say. The only thing I want to have on the record is we put our our friendship through – an emotional stress test of Chelsea beating Manchester City in the Champions League final, which you've never won. And I have multiple trophies. I Sometimes I lose them. They just sit around the apartment here. I can't even keep track of all of them. And I was very nice and respectful about it. And you know I, and you know I was. So I just want you to say that that can start becoming more of our conversation as time goes on here, if you'd like. It's not necessarily your fault whatsoever, but... um. Yeah, I'm still salty about that Champions League final, and I want my shit back in blood, dude. So that's where we're at. <laughs> <laughs> well, we'll see if the uh, if the Norwegian meat child, to steal your favorite phrase, can uh, can get you back there. Um, I think maybe that might be kind of as good a place to start as any here, with the city getting the last game back from break. They had the most players in the World Cup, so it kind of makes sense that way. But um, three one today i think over leads right excuse me i didn't get to see as much of the game as i would like but spencer how did your boys look i know it was pretty comfortable for you yeah it was uh three one final there andrew you're spot on with that um just a quick aside like uh, this this just this whole round of games like the epl has just got to be better at scheduling man <laughs> because like we're we talked before like where do we start and we're just like i don't know we'll just fucking start recording and just see which one comes up first and it is city and um yeah we're I, I don't know like there were no real standout fixtures I guess like 
what if I looked at them all like before the season, I would have been like, oh, Arsenal, West Ham's a little interesting, but West Ham's terrible and Arsenal's really good. I don't just be better, EPL. Just be better because we're coming back from the World Cup. At least give us like one marquee top six matchup. Right. You can't be that bad at scheduling. Give us something to hang our hat on. Give us Chelsea and City both on Monday to kind of spice up that Monday too, right? Like, um, like as good as like I wish Leeds you uh, Leeds City was today. Excuse me. Um, like it was not a very super fun game to watch, right? Like as much as it would have been like, oh, okay, and that's the jewel of the weekend because Leeds, with most everybody else, can really turn the heat up on you, press you, and stuff like that. I don't think City looked that troubled. Uh, no, they weren't that troubled today. Um, you know, Leeds kept them off the board just about the entire first half. They scored in like the last probably 10 seconds of the half, City that is. Went up one nothing right before the break, and um, Holland finds the net twice in the second half, gets to 3-0. I believe it was Stroik found a late, what, what do yeah. you want to say, a, a compensation type goal <laughs> or compensatory yeah. type goal and it happened uh, it, it just uh, it was kind of a lame duck man i mean um if it would have got to halftime maybe nil nil it would have changed things a bit but once city get up on you like literally right at as the last kick of the half basically um kicking the dick for leeds fans that's for sure in the game uh, at that point felt over to me even as a city fan who's perpetually worried about our defense well, and, and even at this point, like, I mean, asterisks on the whole thing with no Tyler Adams. So, I mean, I would give you one and a half points, but clearly you didn't exactly have to play leads at their full strength. I, fair enough, I guess. Um, I need those three <laughs> points, though, because um, honestly, True. I have nothing else. I have nothing else on this City game. That's really all we have on it. Um, let's move yeah. on to why we need those three so the points. The leaders. Because... The leaders in the clubhouse. They put together a performance i would say performance is uh definitely <laughs> a way nice to put, way it. put it yeah um they went down one nil to west ham at home uh penalty that um ben rama put in the net and yeah it was a bit shaky in the first half i think um I watched this game and like Arsenal looked very good but west ham in the first half they were doing a very good job of just frustrating Arsenal, not letting them get any clear-cut looks. And like I said, went into halftime up 1-0. Um, but Arsenal just did not let up. They just kept the pressure coming, and the floodgates opened in the second half. They get three, finish this game 3-1, two straight 3-1s we're talking about here. And Arsenal move a few. At that point, I believe they were seven points clear at the top of Newcastle. Now they'll be down 2-5 again with City, but mm-hmm. same as we started last week when we were talking about it five point gap yeah it's uh it was a really impressive just like he was saying a really really impressive move from uh arsenal basically the whole game but i don't know if you saw like within the first 10 minutes like arsenal could have had like the team goal of the season it just got wiped off for like being slightly off sides i think it was Saka who ended up finishing it and that's when i was like oh all my hopes and dreams of like Arsenal not having enough gas or this whole Gabriel Jesus thing really shaking them up. Like, I don't know if that's going to be real because within the first couple minutes, they were immediately playing well. And um, I think a lot of that's got to go to Nketiah, Gap, uh, Martinelli, and Saka up front just being really, really sharp. Yeah, and um, 
you just mentioned him yourself there and Ketia, the guy that came in, which I listened back to our pod from last week. I said Balogun was like the next guy up. He's fucking on loan in France. So, so you know, dash one Spence. But um, Inketia stepped in, man, and he did not look lost at all in there. Um, it, it looked pretty fluid. He was in on that goal that you talked about that got chalked up. He had like the little back heel to Saka who smashed into the net. That was a sign of things to come. He had some really nice turns. He was linking up well with Saka and Odegaard and Martinelli out on the left. And look, if he's going to play anything like that the rest of the season, uh, they don't have any need to go out and get anybody because, man, did he look good. He looks like he absolutely belonged in that team. I thought it took like some balls for um, Arteta to put him in over like playing a Martinelli central or something. Mm -hmm. It's kind of what I was expecting to see, Martinelli or Saka central and put somebody else out in the wing. But – uh. No, he goes to Nketiah, the younger guy, and he looked great in this game, man. Yeah, he he looked like somebody who, you know, if you told if you had never watched before, but you'd like, yeah, Arsenal signed a backup striker for like forty million. Like he looked like kind of honestly, I, I want to say like like your boy Julian Alvarez when he comes in for Holland, right? It's a drop off, but you still play the same, right? Like Arsenal was still able to be frantic in their pressing provide a lot of pressure, play him the ball. He would leave it off for people. And then he was turning and look, you know, he's taking people on, right? Kind of the attacking of a young player and that whole front line is is scary. I, I think maybe they still make a move here, but nothing they did today, or not today, but nothing they did on Monday is going to say like, oh, now they need to go get a striker, right? Like if they would have lost like three to nothing or something like that, maybe you start thinking panic buy, but... No, that was that was a beautiful performance from them. Yeah, and they were uh, look. They looked miles better than West Ham. And uh, just as a quick aside on West Ham, um, I, I don't think this is the game that's going to make or break their season. I did hear a stat today, something like even in the last two seasons prior to this, where they yeah. have been up around sixth and seventh, they're like they have like one draw against the top six away from home. I believe in the yeah. entire time, no wins, one draw. And what would that be? 13 losses or something, 11 losses in the two seasons yeah. prior. So um, this was not going to be where they were going to get out of this trouble. They find themselves in, but if I am a West Ham supporter, I would like a better performance than that. Like I said, they were at least a little tough to break down and such in the first half, but, and <laughs> just a wet paper bag in the second half, man, just absolutely getting picked apart. They didn't really offer anything going forward outside of that penalty. And it, it's got to be a bit of a frustrating performance if yeah, I'm a sure. West Ham supporter of a lot, a big lame duck coming out of the World Cup break. I just don't, I, I completely agree with you. I don't know if you're West Ham, like, what's your move, right? Um, Skamaka's still hurt. You have. Uh, Mikel Antonio up front who like is very conducive to this type of game where you'd go back and try to hit on the counter right he's physical he'll run for everything right I think Jared Bowen's a good player I think uh I think uh not Paqueta but Paqueta as we're supposed to say now I think he's a good player Ben Rama scores the penalty I like Declan Rice I I like you know like Aaron Cresswell is always a guy who playing left back for them who I kind of like right can has a really nice left foot on him but I don't know what you do. Like if it's going this poorly and you can't compete with the big boys and basically your whole success the last couple of years has just been beating down the lower teams, right? 
those lower teams are getting better, right? And like they've really kind of stagnated here. And I, I, watching a game like this, I think when we were doing the the precap right before we came back to this one, I think uh, to this set of games, I think we were kind of sitting there like, what is West Ham doing? It's like they're doing this. This is what they're doing. They're not doing anything. Yeah, and uh, look, I'm with you. There's there's a lot of players that like on this team, West Ham. That is. I don't know why it's not working. Everything's been sunshine and lollipops since David Moyes got there a couple years ago. It's been sensational finishing sixth and seventh back-to-back years. Um, Look, like I said, I don't think this is where they get out of this awkward spot they find themselves in. But like, if they don't start kicking on, like I just looked at their fixtures. They play Brentford on Friday this coming week. You lose to Brentford at home people are going to start asking about David Moyes as much good equity as he has in the bank. People are going to start asking about David Moyes. So they need to start kicking on at some point here soon, man. Well, and like if I told you one of these two teams was going to score three goals on Friday, right? Brentford or West Ham, who's more likely to score three goals? I think it's Brentford, man. The idea of West Ham, like scoring goals or really like taking it to somebody is so far from my mind. It's just, crazy but yeah and Brentford scoring some goals to your point um yeah let's move it on to the next fixture here involving Brentford as they put up two goals and they went up two nothing on Spurs Spurs did a very Spursy thing of showing up in the second half at the very end and scoring two goals getting a draw but um two two it finishes between these two teams and we, we go away for, you know, six weeks or whatever, Andrew, and Spurs are still the exact same fucking thing from when we left. They're right where we left them, Spencer. It's like, I don't know, maybe a disappointing first half and a, a comeback that makes you feel good in the second half, except for that this has already happened like 30 times this season, right? Like if, if, if your team didn't do this all the time, right? Say you support whatever other team, right? If you go down 2-0 and you claw back, right? You fight, you look good in the second half and bring it back here. You'd feel good about it. Spurs fans, break out the Pepto-Bismol, man. Like, upset stomach. This is not what you're looking for. It makes me think of the, um, they go down 2-0 in the first half, and I think of the uh, Grand Theft Auto meme, the, ah, shit, here we go again type of thing. Like, it's <laughs> it happens all the time, dude. It's just like, yeah, at some point it's, like, exciting. Like, oh, we came back from 2-0, got a draw. Like, in a vacuum, I think that if you're a Spurs fan, you could look at this and be like, well, we would like to get three points in this game, but we went down 2-0, we clawed back, and that was great. But it, we've seen this movie a hundred times, but what, probably six, seven times this year already? Like, they – they don't play football basically in the first half and then they show up later on in the second half and they look like one of the best teams in Europe. And what's going on here? It, it, I mean, for, for, for lack of better analysis here, stop giving up so many goals in the first half. Like just don't do it. You guys are clearly capable of like playing a defensive structure and you come out and play defensive, right? I don't, you know, like neither the Tony or the Yan out goal was because they got caught out pushing forward too far. Right. Like for for Brentford in this game. But like, I think at this point we give some credit to Brentford, man. Ivan Tony, I don't know how long he'll be uh, playing here. We and we kind of bricked on that one the other day, but it bueno looked good, too, man. Like that was one of those things I got going here. Yeah, I saw Ivan Tony was playing and I was like, oh, I guess that's a thing. Like we, we did 
I will say on our preview, we we're both like, is he playing? We have no idea. We haven't done our homework on this. And I guess the answer to that is a yes, is he scored a goal in this game. <laughs> but uh, yeah, I don't know how much longer that's going to last. I still haven't done my homework. Spoiler alert, but he's scoring goals still for now. And I still hey, maintain man. what I said. If he goes away, then that might be a problem. But for now, we're all good, I guess. Well, and like really good performance from Brentford, right? No, but you're 100% right about doing the homework on that. Like we we will eventually have to find out whether he's going to get suspended or not or what the penalty is. But, you know, for a team that's rolling out like Ivan Tony and Brian and Buemo and making them play kind of like isolated most of the time, right? Like they press and they or they'll drop back and then counter press out, right, Brentford? A lot of the time, like Ivan Tony and Buemo, Buemo are playing by themselves. And you like notice how well they do against how many against how defensive Spurs is. And I bring that up to say, like in the first half, Spurs had the English captain Harry Kane, Human Song, and Dejan Kulisewski, and they couldn't do anything by themselves, right? Like they like they have more talent, they have more players like playing those positions, and you might as well have, like not even notice them on the pitch. To be hundred percent honest, like it's just. It's baffling. I, I don't I don't know what else to say. Like I've watched Antonio Conte for years, right? I rooted for him. I understand that sometimes it's a struggle to get things going, but whew, man. But like every time it's a struggle to get things going. And I'm just like it, like I'm actually asking you, since you are somebody that's rooted yeah. for a team that has had him at the helm. Like, is this it's every I don't feel like Chelsea, like Chelsea were a bit negative and like they were doing some weird things and stuff when he was there. I remember that, but I, I don't remember it just being like they look so good every second half. Every second half of every fucking game, because normally I turn their games on because I'm like, oh, oh they're down they're down two nil no. in the second <laughs> half. They're about to turn it on and they're about to play some of the right. best football of any team in Europe. They're they're le- legitimately one of the best teams in Europe right now. In, in the, the second, second half. half. I heard yeah. a stat today that was like, granted, there's you take this with a grain of salt because like City and um, Arsenal are in winning positions all of the time in the second half. But if you just took second half results, they're like eight points clear at the top of the table. <laughs> <laughs> but if you took first half results, they might be on the bottom. So I, I don't, I just don't get it, man. Uh, I don't want to see that stat. I'm worried it's going to be very depressing for someone who supports the boys in blue here. But uh um, but yeah, no, they, they come out and they play really well in the second half. The thing I always remember with the Chelsea, with the Chelsea team and granted, this is a couple years ago, but they would all like in games like this, right. Where they'd got to come back or whatever. They were like, it'd be like one, one going into break or it'd be nil, nil. Right. Or maybe they'd be up one or like, it wasn't a two goal Herculean comeback all the time. Right. They were doing a better job of of defending in the first half, right? Because we've talked a lot about them like not being very explosive on offense, but they're not defending well in the first half, right? Like they're getting beat in all kinds of different ways. It's not like, oh yeah, they're just bad on set pieces. Oh, they just can't defend X, Y, or Z. It's like, no, you guys are kind of getting beat in any way the other team wants, right? It's, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know, man. I don't know what to tell you for Antonio Conte, man. This is it's it's absolutely baffling. And look, um, we I'm don't profess think Eric Dyer's not an elite center back, <laughs> and that Clement Longley, who's a you know cast off from Barcelona. If Barcelona is willing to let you go to bring in Spencer's number one uh, number one guy, Eric Garcia, maybe don't. Maybe he's not the answer. <laughs> maybe Clement Longley is not uh, 
solving your problems at the back. Look, we're um, far from the first people to ask this Spursy question there. We are big, you and I both, intakers of soccer media. People a lot smarter that I respect their opinion a lot more than my my own. They can't explain it, so I'm just happy to be like, I don't fucking get it. I don't know why. <laughs> Spurs, I, I, it doesn't make sense that they can look so good and so bad in the same game. It happens all the time, but I don't know. Maybe they'll, maybe they'll figure out at some point, man, but we'll see. Yeah, um, speaking of a team that's figured it out, unfortunately, I have a very... Imp- Important question for you, Spencer Sherrod. Are is Manchester United fun? Are they fun to watch? Um, <laughs> I'm gonna say that I do not have fun watching Manchester United unless they are typically getting, you know, absolutely walloped or something. Ah, so you haven't enjoyed them lately. But yes, that would that would be <laughs> to answer the question, would, Spencer's that, not having a good time. But that would lead casual, into it. Casual yeah. viewer enjoying watching some offensive soccer is uh please well, I'll tell you, something as a city supporter, something I don't like to see is Marcus Rashford looks like Marcus Rashford a la 2019 or so again. He looks like he's back. And if he's back to the way he was a few years ago before these last couple really uneven seasons, then um, look out the rest of the league because this is a guy that as recently as a couple years ago was like the most valuable player in world football above like Mbappe and stuff at that point. Yeah. And he's fallen off a bit and um, he's looking more like vintage Rashford again. It's weird to say for somebody that I believe is only like 23 years old, but he's looking more like vintage Rashford again, Andrew. He's, he's absolutely like my premier league crush. Like I don't, I don't like that he plays for United, but anytime I see that guy playing soccer, I'm like, Oh, that would be really nice to have. Um, I said it going into the World Cup. I can say it again about how he's fast and tall and strong and takes free kicks and runs at you and does everything you'd want a soccer player to do. He just was in his own head for a couple years. Slash United was a dumpster fire. And that either means that he's not in his own head anymore, which is great, or that United's not a dumpster fire, which I'm not willing to let that go yet. That was so much fun um, <laughs> to have United just be a uh, – a place where star players go to, you know, completely tank their career. So, um, but no, he, he has a beautiful goal. I like his assist to Martial, maybe even more, maybe not more, but that was a hell of a know. pass. Yeah. He, he's got a goal and assist in the first 24 minutes of this game. And, you know, watching this game, I was, I was a little hopeful that maybe uh, Nottingham Forest will be, you know, pesky in this game. They were not, they were <laughs> immediately, shown that this is a different class of soccer. Yeah, and I think that if I am going to pour a little bit of water on this, a little bit of cold water, it is against Nottingham Forest, and they have not been good. They've looked pretty incoherent most of the season. They're probably favorites to potentially be relegated um, or be on one of those three spots that get relegated. We'll see what happens, but... Uh, United looked really impressive and they came out really impressive and 
The only thing I would be a little wary of is that they have had these good performances this year, and sometimes they've just they'll have a few good performances, and then it's like one, two, or three steps forward, and then they slip on a banana peel and fall back like five steps type of thing. Like they were in decent form when they came up against City for that Derby game, and then City absolutely walloped them, and then they went in a bad patch of form for a few weeks. Um, I don't know if the consistency is there yet. I'm not saying it's not. I'm just more saying I need to see it to believe it type of thing. I am from Missouri. We are the show me state. I want you to show me that you have some form of consistency. And um, we'll, we'll see. But look, I think that getting rid of Ronaldo, like that's potentially huge for the locker room. I think that could help. And I think Ten Hag's pulled a lot of good strings and the club seems to have some form of coherent direction, which is good if nothing else. Well, if we're making bad state jokes, I you know I don't know whether I'm then supposed to switch my allegiance to Arsenal's Gunners or the uh, Tottenham Spurs. So you know Texas, I can make state jokes too. Um, just wanted to make sure that that got in there. If we're doing puns and uh, when wordplay, um, <laughs> um, but very impressive from United, Nottingham Forest. I would start worrying about the bottom of that table. Um, they currently sit in nineteenth place. Wolves look better. Um, Everton's a dumpster fire. Southampton looks even worse. Like Southampton's tanking. I don't know what the, I think they think a draft pick's coming their way or something. Like they're playing the kids and uh, I don't know, man. Like maybe they're going for Wembenyana. He's a French kid ready to go. I mean, that's an NBA, that's a deep NBA poll on the soccer podcast. But yikes, man. I, I Just such a bad performance from, from uh, Northampton or from Northampton, Nottingham Forest. <laughs> yeah, bad performance from Nottingham Forest. Um, they should be worrying about what's around that bottom of the table. Um, let's get into a couple of these teams that are near the bottom. Um, you kind of bought up Southampton there. Let's go to there first. Um, they lose, was it 3-0, I believe they lost to Brighton? Um, 3-1, I'm sorry. And yeah, uh, look, Brighton's good this year. I don't want to... I don't mean this to disparage Brighton at all, but like Southampton, you're at home to Brighton. These are teams that I, what at last year, we would have probably looked at these two teams pretty evenly. Like we knew Brighton had good things about them, but like Southampton at home, that's probably pretty close to an even bet, you know, a pick them type of bet, at least if Southampton are at home and not at all. And they had their new manager, Nathan Collins, his first game in charge after he took over for Hassan Hoodle. <laughs> Not a good first start. Not not a good not a good start for the uh, new man in charge. And uh, look, they just we, we we spoke on it on the preview the other day. They just like there's there's no veterans in here to like help them navigate through this. There's nobody that's been in a relegation fight really before. These guys have barely had to shave their faces. So like, <laughs> I, I I don't know where the experience or the help for this comes from, Andrew. Yeah, I I think the. Uh... The way I mean, if there was ever a team that was one planning on the new manager bump that did not see it, it would be Southampton in this game. Um, seriously, they look awful. Again, can we get James Ward-Prowse out of there? There's, I mean, this January window, I think he should go town to town, seeing if anybody will take him. I mean, this is this is brutal, man. Like they're so bad. I want to give I want to give some credit to Brighton, who I think did what good teams do and just like 
saw they weren't very good and got on them early. <laughs> really just attacked and put them on them here in the first half, I thought. Yeah, and that goal by uh, Sally March was so oh nice. God. Oh, it was so good. I will say that I tweeted about the defending was horrible. There's like three guys <laughs> just standing away, like just like, yeah, you can just keep stepping in and stepping in. Oh, you're going to hit that with your left? Good luck with that. Oh, it's in the back of the net? Shit. <laughs> good luck with that shit. Shit. But yeah, it was it was a beautiful goal. Yeah. It, it was a beautiful goal. Um, I thought the Lalana header was nice too, and then the one got called in one goal, but you know, whatever. I Brighton are good, man. Brighton are are good. They're creeping up the table. They needed I was I think it was kind of a big performance from them to cement like, hey, we're here to be in the top eight. Like there's a lot of talk about the Zebri coming in and doing something different with that team and oh Graham Potter like has the magic worn off or whatever but like they got a win and they needed it it was it would have been an easy kind of forgettable game to drop especially because it means so much to Southampton right oh we got a new lease on life we got a new coach coming in nope absolutely dispatched them within the first like 30 minutes I would say 30 minutes into this game I went oh this might be a five goal game yeah, and it's not like we haven't seen Southampton absolutely walloped at home before. Uh, they were the ones that I believe lost 9-0 at home to United. Was that a couple of years back? So maybe St. Mary's isn't the fortress that some places are. But look, I, I, Brighton are having a great season, and they do look impressive. That the, the thing about Brighton's always been, can they score the goals that line, align with their XG, you know? They mm-hmm. always are a high XG team that fails to kind of get their chances. And I think we can transition to somebody who doesn't get their chances in a minute <laughs> from that. But um, <laughs> look, the, t- Brighton battered them and Southampton weren't even in this game. And it's a game that despite where the kind of the, the, the prestige of the club, I guess what I'm saying for these two clubs, this should be a, a game Southampton thinks they can at least go into and maybe get a point out of um, to just get battered at home and not really show up is super disappointing if I'm a supporter of them. Yeah, just just horrible. for like If you're a Southampton fan, I, I truly feel for you. You guys had a couple of years of being pesky, being on the analytics, being on the cutting edge, and it has all fallen apart. I don't know what it is. I feel like... Seriously, I feel like they're going to get that first NBA draft pick and take Victor Wimbanyana. I don't know. Maybe they got C.J. Stroud really high on their board or Bryce Young if you want to talk football. But something there isn't right. But Brighton and Hove absolutely kind of cementing their their status as one of the surprise teams. Um, transitioning to, I would abs- absolutely say, like the surprise team of the year, Newcastle absolutely putting it on here and cementing their legacy at, or not legacy, but cementing their place amongst the con- top contenders. Well, it might be a legacy if they just keep playing like this and they do something really special this season. Um, look, I got into it a little bit, not, not got into it, but uh, it is a physical fight, <laughs> not a physical fight, but uh, another podcast that I am a fan of uh, caught offside. I was talking with uh, JJ on Twitter a bit because he's very dismissive of what Eddie Howe is doing there, I feel. And uh, look, this team is just, I know they've spent money. I know Gimares, Isak, um, Sven Boltman, like these guys have come in and these are big players for them. But look at their lineup. Like Miguel Almiron just absolutely might win player of the season the way he's going. Like 
not even a word of a lie. He might be in the discussion at least. Love um, that for Hurling Holland. Erling, get to Madrid, man. Spencer didn't even believe in you. <laughs> Hear him. Hear what he says. I, I said in the discussion. I said in the discussion. Listen, this is a podcast, so your actions are louder than your words. Your words are your actions. So you are That's- correct there. But um, going through the lineup more, like Longstaff in the lineup, um, Chris Wood up top. Chris Wood, Andrew. Chris Wood. <laughs> Chris Wood. I'm just going to keep saying it until it makes sense to me. Chris Wood is their starting striker and their second in the well, table. He's 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 not he's their backup. Like I think actually exactly what you said brings into what I was talking about when they built a very good floor for themselves, right? Like even if these quote unquote new signings like Isak and Gumares and that, and like, even like Trippier, like don't work out or, or Sven Botman's maybe a better example, right? They've got Fabian Schar already doing it there, right? They've got Sean Longstaff, who's good enough to be like a mid table, like, you know what I mean? Like he's good enough to be like a mid table, like replacement level guy. Right. And then Chris Wood has just come in and played really well i don't know any other way to say it i don't know why it's happening i can't provide you with any answers as to what i mean maybe it's just like you take the striker out of burnley and he just feels free he's just like oh my goodness it's whatever the opposite happened to uh dwight mcneil <laughs> dwight mcneil went to everton and was like oh man i miss burnley chris wood left burnley and he was like oh my god so you're just saying it's fine to shoot it's okay no one's gonna scream at me all right give it a go yeah um Maybe that's something to it. And I, I, we should say he's not like bagging, bagging goals, but he scores in this game. It was a penalty and he's playing well for them, at least not being a detriment to their attack or anything. So mm-hmm. um, fair game. Way to go, Chris Wood. But like another guy, Joe Linton. We thought this guy was like a flop of a striker 18 months yeah. ago. And, and he now he's one of the of a striker. Oh, yeah, <laughs> that is true. But we thought he was a terrible signing because he was a flop of a striker. And then Eddie Howe's just like, you know what? What about central midfield? I think you'd be pretty good there. And now he's one of the best fucking midfielders in the league. Like, what's going on here, man? Like, they're just everything Newcastle are touching is turning to gold right now. And um, yeah, they look like they're going to be in this fight, man. Um, yeah. Do you have anything else on Newcastle or you want to do a quick second on Leicester? Um, just to make sure we talk about Miguel Amaron and then Kieran Trippier was really good in this game, too. Like, I think he had two assists, just one one assist for sure, maybe another one there, but I thought Trippier played really well. Um, and then Miguel Almiron, I know you brought him up earlier, but just like talk about a guy who looks like he got a second le- a lease on life here. He's just flying around, making plays, taking people on, playing one-twos, finishing everything. Man, I, I mean, I don't know that Leicester would finish mid-table in the MLS, I mean, just based on how they contained Miguel Almiron today. I mean... <laughs> MLS is clearly a tough league. Atlanta United is uh I can't even pretend to pretend to know where they are on the table. But <laughs> all I know about it well, A, the season's over. So um probably right at the top, because I what I guess Atlanta is alphabetically ahead of Austin. I might be forgetting somebody. They might be top of the table right now, Atlanta, without sure. Miguel Amaron, so if we're alphabetically speaking. <laughs> but um yeah, he's he's been so good, man. Um I'll just double down on it and maybe get ridiculed again, but I think he's going to be in that conversation for player of the season. And yeah, um, it's it's very dependent on where Newcastle finish, but if they yeah. end up finishing like two and Jesus is out and Saka doesn't have the stats or Holland doesn't, you know, if they finish like ahead of city, 
I don't know, man. Like that's a possibility right now. And I don't think yeah. any of us would have said, I don't know who's going to finish higher. No, no sane person in the world was like, yeah, I don't know, man. It's either city or Newcastle this year, just competing for that top three. <laughs> I don't know who's going to get there. Yeah. And if they do get into a, even a top four spot and start getting in some champions league money on top of the riches they have by, for being owned by a literal state country. Um, yeah, they're going to be here for a long time. They ain't going anywhere. Um, a team that might be going somewhere if they keep playing the way they are. Dude. <laughs> yeah, they're, they'll be going to Stoke on a Tuesday. It's where they're going to be yeah, going. That'll be where uh, Leicester's going because, look, they were in crisis <laughs> earlier this year. Um, they had a decent run of form the last month or so leading into the mm-hmm. break and had kind of, we said – kind of separated themselves from that pack, but one more run like they had before, and they're going to be right in the thick of it again. They're not clear by a lot of points. They're only a few points off of the relegation zone as is. We just thought maybe that form would translate. They looked like they, there were a couple teams this week, and I would say maybe they're the prime example of teams that just did not look like they were ready to come back from the break at all. (laughs) They, they they basically were the look of the kid who walks into the first day of English class and everybody else pulls out the summer reading and they go, oh, no, were we supposed to be doing that all summer? Shit. I don't even have that book. Um, yeah, like kind of what we were saying with the with the re-preview, like Yuri Tielemans looks like he doesn't like the fact that Yuri Tielemans and Harvey Barnes and Timothy Castagna, like guys who play kind of I don't know, big minutes, but play a lot and are important, right? Good players are just not being even like featured on the field. Like I know they're missing James Madison right now, but they, there was nothing they could have done today to beat Newcastle, right? Like they, they seriously, they looked just as helpless as Nottingham Forest did against United where you just go, Oh, the quality of, you know, the quality gap here is just too big. What are they going to do? And that's not who Leicester's been over the last couple of years. I know they're a selling club and, you know, that kind of thing, but they can usually be competitive about it. This is not a competitive team right now. Yeah, they don't look competitive at all. They don't look competitive at all. Um, They look like they don't have – and I don't know. It's just what I'm trying to figure out is, like, are they the team that they showed us a month – the month leading into the break, or are they the team that played before that and the team that showed up on uh, Monday when they played? We're gonna have to wait and see, kind of, and see, you know, if that if they end up kind of being able to dig themselves out of this hole. I mean, look, they there's so much mush in this table right now that if they can just put yeah. some results together, that they'll be fine and pretty comfortably out of it. Because there's there's such a mush of nobody really establishing themselves. There's so many teams that are climbing up that muddy hill or whatever. A couple wins, a couple good steps, a couple good footholds. They'll be well out of it. But um, you just you don't, we don't know what we're getting with them, and you worry that they have another run of form like they did earlier. Yeah, the the difference between them and a lot of these other teams, right? Like they sit thirteenth in the table on seventeen points. Is like they do have guys that have done like can produce individual moments of magic, right? They have James Madison, they have Harvey Barnes. I think Pat Sindaka can maybe win you a couple of games with his hustle and that kind of thing. They got the ghost of Jamie Vardy still there. Like they have established players, but that's kind of the frustrating thing. Like they're one point ahead of Bournemouth. And like, other than your guy, Kiefer Moore, like 
can you name me five players on Bournemouth? I I can because I just watched them play Chelsea. But seriously, like they're above these anonymous teams. It's like I don't know how you're different right now. You should be, but based on what you're showing us, like they they needed to come out and like kind of have a statement of like, okay, we're Leicester. We've done this before. We can be here. And they they said the opposite. They're like, we would like to leave. Is there any way we can go back to vacation? Yeah, they're acting like a kid that just wants to be kicked out of class or something. Like they're just like, yeah, we don't really like it here sometimes. Can I go so, sit in the hallway? Can yeah. I go sit in the hallway? Let me. Yeah, you're gonna send me to the principal's office, please. Please. Yeah, but they're, they're I don't know. Things. We're we're gonna see what happens there. Um, I tend to think they're gonna figure it out, but who knows, man. Um, you just referenced Bournemouth and not knowing five of their players, except for the fact you just saw them. Uh, tell me about some of those five plus players as they played your boys, Chelsea, who took a two nil win in that one, Andrew. Um, tell me about your boys. How'd you look? Well, we looked really good early. They they played four at the back and, and here I go into more Chelsea analysis than anybody else gets, but that's the podcast. Sorry if you don't like it, but like we played four at the back and they should always play five. And no, they looked really good playing with four at the back. Um, Mason Mount played midfield, kind of a cam roll. And then like Dennis Zacharia gets, you know, he got subbed out in like the 83rd minute. He plays well. He kind of provides Jorginho with that stability of somebody who will kind of run and do his dirty work. So Jorginho can just pass at the base of this. And Pulisic, Raheem Sterling and Kai Havertz looks like a front three with Mount in that cam roll that can be like, dangerous and of course it all starts with reese james who of course um comes off injured in the 53rd minute and i've been just basically listening to 2000s like emo songs you know a lot of like simple plan a lot of early green day stuff just sitting in the shower crying as we say another month without reese james here yeah that's uh that was some tough news. I, I shed a little tear for you, my buddy, um, when I saw that one because that's a real kick in the balls for any Chelsea supporter. Just as somebody who likes the sport, like oh, Reese yeah. James, I can appreciate him even before, even without your, you know, propaganda kind of propping him up. I do acknowledge him as one of the this better is, fullbacks. Are, these are hurtful things. One of the better fullbacks in the entire world, and he's really especially under Tuchel, he was so integral to like everything Chelsea did. If he had a bad day, then the team had a bad day type of thing. Um, we haven't, at least as a non-supporter, you can tell me if I'm wrong. If you have any observations, we haven't got to see him just because he's been hurt so much, like see exactly what his role is uh, full-time under Graham Potter. And that's going to continue to happen now because um, he's going to be out for a while and it just sucks, man. Yeah. It's, it's brutal. His role under like if you have Reese James, let him go up and down the right side and put in crosses. If you're doing anything else, you're an idiot and you should lose your job. Full stop. Um, I think he's just as like he's just as good as anybody you want to talk about going up and down that right wing. Um, I prefer his like physicalness and defensive acumen to like a Trent Alexander Arnold. I know it's really hard not to be biased, but um, I, I legitimately do think he's like a top two right back in the world. And I don't know who I would put above him. Um, but if he's going to be injured all the time, now it turns into like a, well, they don't really have a replacement for Reese James. Like, you know, as P Cesar Espeliqueta is getting old, he can't really go up and down the wing anymore. Right. And then it's, you pull somebody up from the, like 
not having Reese James is what got us into so many problems last year when him and Ben Chilwell missed a lot of time, right? Because that was the area they were attacking most under Tuchel, right? Was down the wings, right? They'd play three at the back. They'd throw the five, four, you know, they'd throw the two wing backs forward at you. And they were very good. Like, I know me and you joked like <laughs> last year, Chelsea's best striker was Ben Chilwell because um, he would get in the box and finish things. And um being able to relieve pressure and put just a lot of good, really good balls in there um, is what makes, makes Reese James so spe- so special. I do have hope that maybe if we can get this mount as a cam with playing really well, Raheem Sterling played on the right, which is kind of weird. I always think of him as playing on the left side for your boys city. And then Kai Havertz played well as a striker. Like, you know, he had a goal and assist in 25 minutes. That's exactly what I just said about, uh, about my favorite uh, uh, Rashford, so I can't be upset about that. Like Chelsea played really well, the rain cloud of Reese James kind of being over this is really tough. But, um, but yeah, it, it was a very good showing, except for the rain cloud. Yeah, it sure seemed like that. That front three seemed quite functional. Um, mounted a cam roll seemed very functional. The midfield was seemed pretty good. The defense seemed pretty good too. Even um. But Potter's going to have to get a little creative to figure out, as you referenced, um, what to do about that big hole on the right side. Um, we'll see how they fill it. Where maybe there's a transfer in. Maybe it's a guy like a Loftus Cheek or something. Or maybe it's Cucurella's yeah, playing on the right. Yeah. Um, but he'll have to get creative and we'll see what happens there. But um, speaking of right backs, you referenced one of those other guys in the conversation for best right backs in the world. Trent Alexander-Arnold and his boys, they took on Aston Villa. They won that game 3-1, to one, Andrew. And um, I, there's nowhere to start this game without just talking about my favorite <laughs> player. Um, so, wait, hold on, hold on. Something I accused you of the other day. Oh, man, he hates Darwin Nunez and makes fun of him all the time. And you backed so far off of it. But no, Spencer, where do you want to start? Go ahead. Tell me. Where's a good place for you? Where do you want to talk about Liverpool here, bud? You go ahead and tell me. Look, here's where I want to talk. I'm going to kind of say very similar to what I said the other day when we did our preview. He is – it's amazing to me that somebody can – because, look, you have to rate it at some point. That somebody can get into position and get on the end of chances as often as Darwin Nunez does. Mm -hmm. That said, holy fuck. Could I look? I'm. I understand. I am not a professional athlete. I am not good at these things. I would have put away more chances in this game than Darwin Nunez did. Dude, I I gotta say, if this was a kids movie, we would get him glasses, and all of a sudden he'd be able to hit the ball <laughs> a mile. Like seriously, it's that comical level of bad. I noticed it more in the other game than this game. He had a lot of issues in this game as well. Um, but like, God, like just wide left wide right like a vikings kicker just making me sad man like oh my god yeah please don't try to walk this back again man come on michael jackson with the moon walking here walk back this darwin nunez hate i know lives in your heart it's not honestly i promise you, it's not like hate it's just like it's so perplexing it's perplexing to me of like how can somebody that was worth a hundred million beasts that's a striker that was like look i and I don't want you if you're a Liverpool fan. I am not shitting on your signing. He, like I said, he gets into position. He's chaotic. He is in the middle of everything Liverpool do, it feels like. Lives right on that edge. Yeah, he's a good player. 
But like I, I look, if he figures out how to finish things, he's going to be as good as Holland. If he figures out how to fucking put the ball in the back of the net a little more consistently, but like holy shit, dude. It's like not even missing the net every time. There was one early in the game where um I, I forget which player it was for Liverpool. I mean, was it Salah? But like they clattered into uh Robin Olsen, the villa goalkeeper, because Nunez had a perfect cross at his feet and he's like, I'm gonna dummy this for my teammate who has no chance of hitting this at all, and he gets clattered into the by the goalkeeper. Like, just shoot the ball. I, I, it's it's like he's passes up chances too. It's not like he just drags it left like wide left or wide right, man. I don't I don't so, understand. So here's what this is. I know it, and I think I'll say this, and you'll recognize it too. This is stage one of Timo Werner, right? Because for a year and a half at Chelsea, I would say exactly everything you just said. He's living right on the edge. Sure, he gets called off sides more, but he's attacking. He's getting goals. Like, maybe they should let him take penalties, get his confidence up, right? And then it kind of turned into, like, oh, are we going to play Timo again? Like, He's just not finishing. You know what I mean? Like it turns into like, like right now it's fine because he's new and shiny and he does a lot of things well and he runs in behind and he plays with great energy. Who was I talking about right there? Was it Darwin Nunez or was it Timo Werner? Because those two are the same right now. And I, I still love Timo Werner. I think he's a very good player. I wish he was on Chelsea so I wouldn't have to watch Aubameyang play. But like, you know, I, I don't, it's, a forward who doesn't have the confidence, right? You're talking about him passing up chances and that kind of thing. The line between he's unselfish and he should put the ball in the back of the fucking net is a very thin line. And I don't even know if unconfident is even maybe the right way to put it. Because like, did you see the chance he had where I believe the defender like mishit it kind of a la how Eric Dyer did, but he hit it out for a corner, but he hit it up and back. And Darwin Nunez is, 10 yards clear of the defender, and he's got at least 10 yards. He's like at the top of the box, and Robin Olsen's just glued down to his spot. And he tries yeah. to hit it like first time on a volley and shins it like right at Robin Olsen. And I'm like, okay, well, it takes a lot of confidence to hit that ball on a volley like over your shoulder. That's, you know, crazy, right. but um, that's a very confident play. But um, not the smartest one. If you grab, if you if you took it down and like took a touch, you probably round the keeper. And you know, even right. I would like to think he doesn't even miss that one. But I don't know. No, just a just a frustrating and, player, man. Yeah, and that's and that kind of play is just like the the cherry on top of like a striker who doesn't quite have it, right? Because there's a chance that that's like goal of the season type stuff, right? Like I don't know. I mean, that's the kind of thing like we've been seeing Mo Salah like just finish right for years and he kind of starts off the scoring with this one kind of a vintage Liverpool move and Dyke gets a header this was a really for for all we just talked about like Darwin Nunez right but this was a very comfortable game for Liverpool Aston Villa kind of came out and immediately I don't think looked like they had it um I don't disagree with you that it was comfortable because they got up 2-0 um it was a little hairier than the scoreboard kind of reflected. I think like Liverpool, they still are. There's still those concerns. I think of them being kind of shaky at the back. They gave up some mm-hmm. chances. If if Villa was a little more clinical, um, Leon Bailey in particular had a few oh, chances that oh. he shot. Like he's uh, look. We I can't sit yeah, here and just go off on. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I can't sit. I can't sit here and go off on Nunez and not bring up Bailey being horrid at finishing too. Yeah, maybe some glasses for him as well. But um, 
Yeah, Villa, they had some chances in this game. Uh, it could have been a lot more interesting. Liverpool did boss the play pretty well, but um, yeah, it just it wasn't quite as... Uh, there's very resounding 3-1 wins and there's very much closer than more than meets the eye type 3-1 wins. Uh, this was more towards that on the uh, Richter scale for me. Yeah, I, I guess the way I would say, because I think you're right, you bring up a good point that it wasn't. Villa showed themselves maybe better than I had kind of said there, but they are, I don't know, man. I don't know what to make of Villa at this point. They sit, oh, where are they? They sit in 12th, right? That's not outrageous for them, but they're kind of all in, not pushing all in, all in, but they made some moves to kind of compete, and they haven't. Yeah, they're getting there a little bit. Like, they're still pretty new under, like, Unai Emery was only in charge for what, like, two or three games before the break, so... They've got a little yeah, time even, to learn under him. Yeah, so um, they showed signs of life. Like I said, if they're a little more clinical in this game, then we might be talking about like a game of the season contender, a 3-3 type of thing. Um, but we'll, we'll see where they kind of go. I, I'm not I'm not drawing any big conclusions about um, Villa out of this game. Yeah, I, I think – I just don't know what to make of them, right? They're kind of similar to a lot of things we've said about these teams like – I like their players, but I don't, you know, are they better than the sum of their parts? Like, I don't, I don't know. I think John McGinn's a very good player. I think Douglas Luiz is a pretty good player, but they just didn't have, they got Boston midfield today and Liverpool, when they're at their best, that's what they're doing, right? They're bossing the game. They have control of the ball. They're controlling possession. They're hitting you on the, they're hitting you on the press. And I kind of thought it was just a good my takeaway was like Liverpool look good, right? They need to look more like this to continue upwards, right? This is kind of a stepping stone for them. And Villa needs to figure it out a little bit, man, because they had a couple of chances, like you said, but something with the chemistry on this team is just not quite right. Yeah, and I think I'm comfortable to chalk it up to a little, maybe like, because they beat United right before the break. Maybe it's just a little more time under Emery that might start to iron itself out. Um, one more thing before we move off of this, we should just reference, I know you just mentioned it in passing, kind of like giving a quick rundown of what happened in the game, the goals. That first goal by Liverpool, um, oh my God, that outside yeah. the boot pass by Trent and a little <laughs> tap in by Robertson to Salah, what a team goal up there for one of the better team goals of the year. That was one yes. of those where audible noises involuntary audible noises were erupting from my body as I watched it in real time. Yeah, that, that goal itself is not safe for work. If you were had to be at work on Monday, you're like, oh, I can't see that highlight right now. People are going to think something weird's going on. Yeah, I had to run upstairs and change shorts really quick after that one. Thank God I was <laughs> not at work, so that worked out well for me. Um, let's move on to a bottom of the table match here, Andrew. Uh, the other side of Liverpool, the other side of Merseyside, right across the little park where there's this really good team that plays um, over there in the red side of the city. And then there's this blue team right across the park that, yeah. holy fuck, man. Oh, yeah, they're, they're certainly blue. Let me tell you that much, man. They're, they're sad, dude. Uh, Jordan Pickford, what are you doing on this team, man? I, I want to just take like three or four of these guys and just be like, Hey, you, de you deserve better. Like you don't have to put up with this. Jordan Pickford, you're the goalie for England. 
what are you doing here, man? Like, what, what's, what's your plan? Like, I don't know, man. This, this team is so sorry. Huge win for Wolves. Um, they fought it. They left it late, man. Aiton Nori, I think, puts it in late in the 90th. Um, but holy cow, just another horrible game for Everton. Horrible game for Everton. A horrible result to lose at home to bottom of the table Wolves, a team that they are in. Look, if you're an Everton supporter, you, I, I would like to think that you're realistic enough to have come to the conclusion that you are in a re- relegation fight and losing to a team that's behind you in a relegation fight is not a fucking good strategy it's to bad. not get relegated. You don't want to do it. Yeah. Um, I will say that, like, Wolves, I'm not going to sit here and praise Wolves. They looked a little more coherent than they did before. And, and one of the most, holy fuck, I, I completely forgot this <laughs> happened type of things. I forgot uh-huh. that Lopetegui was their manager now. Like, yeah. just completely uh-huh. that got lost. That was, like, one of those things where there were a few things throughout the weekend where they, like, showed a guy on a team or something. I was like, holy fuck, that did happen, didn't yeah. it? Lopetegui <laughs> was probably the biggest example of that. That I was like... Oh, oh man, their manager. But they looked a little better under him. I, like they, they, they weren't. They looked, they looked better from someone who saw Wolves playing earlier in the season and was literally like, "Where are my fun Portuguese guys? Like, where's this kind of fun team that at least like they lose more than they should, but they always push forward." And I've always liked like Daniel Potence. I feel like runs around and does a lot of stuff. I always like players like that. And that's just been gone. They kind of had that life back together here, right? They showed they showed fight. And for having, what is it, 12, 13 points, right? A team showing fight is super important because they're going to have to scrap to, like, get above Everton, right? Like, Wolves got themselves out of last place. They sit 18th right now. The teams they're looking up at are Everton, West Ham, Leeds, Bournemouth, and Leicester, Right? They have to be better than a couple of those teams, right, to get themselves to safety. And I know they got Mateus Cunha coming in. They got another striker, right, in the Diego Costa and then uh, Raul Jimenez, Gonzalo Guedes, right? Like, they have so much weird attacking talent on paper, right? It looks like the bench of somebody's ultimate team. They're like, yep, no, I got uh, Jimenez on the bench. I got Traore on the bench for speed. But, like, I just... I was kind of I was kind of impressed with Wolves. They got a new they got a new manager. They got some talent coming in here. Good news for Wolves. Everton looked like absolute garbage. Yeah, and for Wolves, we can move on from them. They just they looked coherent. Um, I guess that's the best I can say is that they looked a little bit more like the Wolves we talked about in the preview. Where like Wolves used to be fun, and I'm not going to say they were fun. Full disclosure, I did not watch this game. It was on during the big block. I saw the very end just as they flashed to it to see the last goal. Um, so I didn't see most of it, just watched the condensed game. But Wolves look like they had a little bit more about them at least. So, yeah, like you said, like one win, they takes them from bottom to 18th, and they're kind of right into that, you know, muddy mess right now. So they'll have a chance to maybe get out of it. Everton, on the other hand, they find themselves basically on – the doormat like standing in front of the door of the relegation zone and basically knocking on that door and hoping nobody (laughs) answers Um, because nobody's answering the call for them when it comes to playing well. So I I don't know, man. Um, I I don't know how it gets better for this team. They're just, we talked about the other day. There's just, there's like these guys that we thought were good at one point and they just all go to Everson. They're just bad. I I just, I don't know what else to say about it. 
Right. It, like, Yerry Mina, is he good? No, he went to Everton. James Tarkowski, wasn't he good? No, he went to Everton. Like, Dwight McNeil, I, I talked about, joked about him earlier. Like, isn't he pretty good for Burnley? No, no, he went to Everton. He's bad. Like, would you rather have $40 million or Anthony Gordon, who got that, didn't get that money from, uh, Everton doesn't get that money from Chelsea earlier in the season when Todd Bully walked in and was trying to give out money to everybody with a 20-year-old on their team. And now he's just here in this relegation battle. Like, golly, man. Like, I, I feel bad for Lampard. I still like Lampard as a Chelsea legend, but holy buckets, man. But, like, even if they would have taken that deal for Gordon, like, I don't trust them to have replenished themselves. Like, I think they spent, like, $20 million on Neil Mape. Like, what was the big thing on Neil Mape? He, he doesn't. He, he's he's a striker. He's, yeah, he's a striker who doesn't score goals, though, was his big thing. Like, I know. He's, he's in and around it. But well, that, he well, was, then actually, he's doing a great job. He was, <laughs> he, he was if so. Cr- not for Everton's the place for you this season. Yeah, but he was, like, so huge in that Brighton don't score goals that, like, measure up to their expected goals because Neil Mape was on the end of it and not scoring a lot of those chances. And they're like, you know what? That guy's the guy. And he scored a couple goals. Like, there were so many takes that were just psychotic about Everton to me earlier this year because, like, he scored a few goals early on and people were like, oh, maybe it was a Brighton thing. And it's like, yes, not really. Like, look, Brighton's scoring three goals and Everton can barely scrap together a coherent move. But they're just – they're in trouble, man. I don't know how else to say they're in trouble. (laughs) The year is 2023 and they still, they have on their roster and like, will probably need to play Damari Gray, Seamus Coleman, Mason Holgate. Like this team isn't even young. Like Nathan Patterson, like you're Vitaly Michalenko. Like what are we doing? Like they, you look at their roster and it's like, man, I hope they have a transfer budget of 150 million because they need at least one impact player at every level. Right. And at this point, if you're if you're one of these guys like Mateus Cunha, right, makes the move to Wolves. Right. He's like, I'll get some playing time. I'll go to, a, you know, because he's coming from Atletico Madrid. So it's not like he was on poor man's wages or anything. Right. But he's like, I'll get some playing time. I'll reestablish myself as a big player. Why would you why would you want to go to Everton at all right now? Why would you want to go to Everton at all? It's crazy i would i would 100 percent agree with why would you want to go to everton but like cunha in particular i mean he went to wolves which <laughs> wasn't well, like much it, better no but you know like they at least have like other good attacking players like who'd you rather play yeah. with dwight mcneil anthony gordon and neil malpai or daniel potens uh huang hechan diego costa like adama Traore, gonzalo guedes like they have talent on wolves like they don't even have talent on Everton right now. Truly. Yeah, and I think you just ran through that front three of um, McNeil, Maupe, and Gordon. And somebody just said it to me the other day. Like I, I listened to it in some form of media, and they were like, if you really like look at that, that's probably a relegation candidate front three. Like if you just don't, if you take, if you put them in Nottingham Forest kits or something, you're like, that's not a very good front line. Like, yeah, Gordon. No, Gordon might be good, but the other two, I, what, what they're Brighton. No, I agree. Like, Mape and McNeil had to move to Everton because Burnley got relegated with him being in their front three. Well, it's like, who would you like there? I mean, obviously the answer to the question is no, but like no team in the Premier League would swap front threes. None. Right. Like seriously running through it. Like even like you said, Nottingham Forest, like 
I don't know. I'd rather have Brennan Johnson than any of these clowns, right? Brennan Johnson, I think, is at least like a different level of promising player than Anthony Gordon, right? I like Iwanini. I don't know how to say his name, but I like that uh, Iwanini from Nottingham Forest. Like, I wouldn't swap there. And if you're not swapping with Nottingham Forest, you like you're bad. You're bad. <laughs> I would just argue that that's um, low praise for future Chelsea star Anthony Gordon from Andrew here. But um, hey, man. We shall I, see. I'm not paying 40 mil when they get relegated. I'll tell you that right now. <laughs> Come on in for $14 million. That's like the championship equivalent of 40 million. Move a decimal, bud. You just you cost yourself, not Anthony Gordon, but like Everton just cost themselves like $20 million. And that's so real what you're saying is that might be the stakes of what they're playing with if they were to go down. Um, not to mention that I like, I know everything that was coming out last year was that basically there's a very solid chance they'd go bankrupt if they went down the way their wage structure is. And I can't imagine it got much better in one year. So, But they don't have anybody worth paying. That's the other part of this. It's like, man, if we don't – like Adresa Gay plays for this team, and they're horrible. And I think he's a pretty good player, right? Like I think he's a very solid, good center defensive mid. What are we doing? What's the plan? There's just there's some type of Everton there's some in the water some type of Everton stink I don't know man it's perplexing kind of yeah. a la Darwin Nunez but um I would start doing might... all the weird voodoo stuff right making sure there's not like a dead Something. cat buried on your training ground like you know get, bring, a... bring in some shaman call Paul Pogba not to have him play he would never come play for you but like see if he knows like some sort of voodoo magic yeah witch doctor <laughs> yeah something. Like... Um, something they gotta do something to that's switch the, up that's, the mojo. that's the worst thing that that's the epitome of everton is i don't know something like they gotta <laughs> that's so i have so no funny. i have no constructive criticism i only have You're criticism the only podcast <laughs> talking this long about everton yeah i can't believe we're doing it but I don't think we... point, all of that needs to be said they're supposed to be like a good team they had they've had money to spend tim howard the how is the tim howard bill right like he was on a solid premier. Like, I wasn't following the Premier League very much then, but I know they were like a solid mid-table team, right? Howard wasn't getting absolutely his brains beat in every weekend. I know enough to know that, mm-hmm. and they are they they can't hold a draw with Wolves. You can't yeah. hold a draw with Wolves. Like, good play by Aiden Ori. I, I want to make sure like that gets said because I think he that was a good finish by him, right? And a kind of a scramble in the box type of thing for that goal late for for wolves but holy cow man we're let's talk about some transfer news everyone we've talked everyone we're about to talk about everton should pay a hundred million dollars for if they don't yeah. want to get relegated. yeah we're getting some transfer <laughs> things um we organically got through nine of the ten games so we might as well just bring them up really quick and oh, just okay. round it out fulham beat crystal palace away three oh, nothing the tim ream american dream we tim almost ream american dream big meat showing out getting a goal and an assist New con- um, he got a new contract with them too. Do you see that? Tim Ream, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Fine. If so, you score, we'll bring you back. That you said, score, uh, contract. Fulham was quite good in this game, but um, that said, it always does help if the other team gets two people sent off. <laughs> Playing against yeah. nine definitely helps. It Especially was one. Those nine are from Crystal Palace. <laughs> yeah. I believe it was one nil still when it was. Uh, they went down to nine, and so they got two late goals. But uh, I watched this one. Fulham did look good. They were the better team in this game. Oh, Crystal yeah. Palace. Mm-hmm. Crystal Palace very much looked like they were not 
they were still on a beach somewhere. <laughs> they were not up for this one. They were not ready. And yeah, full um, full marks. They took full advantage of it. I mean, I don't want to say like our preview was super good. You should listen. I do think that. But we talked about Crystal Palace for so long and how they're just blah and how they're just nothing. And what did they do? They came out to Fulham, a team trying to be better, and we're like, no, we don't want to be better. In fact, half of us don't even want to play, and the other half aren't even going to show up. It was such an anonymous, horrible performance from them, I think. Yeah, it was a terrible performance. And if I'm asking one thing of Crystal Palace, it would be, um, look, I, I professed the other day that they're just a team that does not move my needle and I don't do a ton of research on them. But um, I believe Gahey was not playing because he was still not completely fit at center back. And they bought in Tompkins, who I they believe they said hadn't started for them since the last Boxing yeah. Day. Yep, kind of a tradition. So yeah, and yeah, and that guy sent off. So yeah, that know, guy gets one, two yellows, and that's the <laughs> that was the, that was the only way that Chris Richards got on the field. So if I'm asking something of them, I'd be like Patrick Vieira, maybe Tompkins ain't it. He's got it. He's been playing them for for them for years, so he's got to yeah. be old. Just past it. Just just give the young American guy a shot. He's nipping at his heels. Just get him in there because he actually looked, I thought, pretty good when he came in for the last little bit. As good as you can look when you're playing with nine as a defender on a team. It's true. He, yeah, um, it's like uh, the things worse. Will not be kind, but at the same time, like good to get in there, right? If you can show in that way, right? And they're going to be missing, like however you break this down, they're going to be missing two defenders next game, right? So if he doesn't play next game, then I don't, you know, don't do anything crazy. Don't sell him to Everton or anything, but you know, let's get the man some play time. Let's uh, let's shore up his resume here um, as we go forward. But yeah, I'm totally with you. Get Chris Richards in. Let's uh, get him some game time. You got to find a way. And um, let's just segue that right into our little bit of transfer talk here, Andrew, because um, there's one big transfer that is confirmed for us. And I'm wondering where his playtime is necessarily going to come because it's Cody Gakpo going Gakpo. from PSV to Manchester United. Oh, oh, wait, it's not Manchester United. That's what every oh, rumor said no. for the last six months. Six but months, um, yeah. it's it's Liverpool, Manchester yeah. United, one of their biggest rivals, uh, Pip Gakpo from United. And they're going to drop him into that attack that we, you know, gushed on a minute ago outside of Dar- Darwin Nunez. So, um <laughs> I don't know exactly where Gakpo plays. Like, I, I think it's a good transfer, like 37 million to me. I, I think it's 50 million with add-ons and the add-ons are pretty achievable, but it felt kind of cheap to me. Would you agree with that? Yeah, I I think the thing with Liverpool is one, these transfers are always done silently, right? We We talked about... Spencer just brought it up like all of a sudden he's not going to United, the thing we'd talked about for months, right? And he's signed with Liverpool. Not that he's talking about going to Liverpool. He has signed with Liverpool, right? It is done. So good on them to move in that way. I think his playing time is going to come on that left-hand side because I think Diaz is is out, out, right? He might be back in a couple of months here, but or a couple of weeks or something like that. But like Luis Diaz was brought in to help with Mane right? When they still had Mane and now Mane has gone. So even if he's just like the rotational, you know, attacker, right? When someone's out or something like that, right? Like they can't go to Bobby Firmino anymore, not for anything meaningful. Nar- Darwin knew he has this wide left, right? The whole time. And Cody Gagpo, like for 50 million, 
I don't think if you just said like, hey, for 51 million, you could have Cody Gakpo like you certainly don't need him at City. But if it was like shit for 51 million, write the check now, we'll figure we'll figure out some playing time for the guy. I think there's a pretty easy way for him to get into the lineup because like when you look at like the subs that Liverpool used, right, they were subbing in kids. Right. And a lot of that, like in the second half and that kind of thing. And a lot of that's because one, they were winning two it's boxing day and everybody's just coming back from a world cup. But the sneaky third part of that is they didn't have anybody else. Right. Like they, they didn't have other, you know, attacking wingers to come in. And at this level, it's not time to play your kids. Right. They started Alex Oxley Chamberlain. That should never happen outside of a cup. It shouldn't not want to be really good at football. Yeah, and I, I agree with you. I was actually just going to um, get to that point. If they started Oxlade Chamberlain on the left for this game over the weekend, that's Who's clearly fine? not ideal. He's yeah, fine. he was. Just, but you he, know, he he wasn't great for my DraftKings lineup. He only put up be, like two be points. Great for Everton. <laughs> I thought it was a nice value, but um, he did not do that well. But um, yeah, I think he slides in on that left in the immediate future here with um, no Diaz and no Jota, but at some Jota point, yeah, at some point there's going to be a log jam kind of at these wing positions because um, I've kind of, from what I understand of Gakpo, he's been experimented with a little bit down the middle before and it hasn't gone so well. Um, mm-hmm. You know, Klopp is a football whisperer, so maybe he has something special in there. He turned Mo Salah into one of the best goal scorers in the world and he was a guy that couldn't, hit the broadside of a barn kind of before was his MO. So yeah. Um, yeah and, and, and you're certainly not saying that now. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So um, maybe, you know, they figure that out and they get it going, but at some point there's going to be a log jam if he's staying on the wing kind of, um, I don't know if they move on from somebody in the summer or something, but yeah, in the immediate future, I, I did say at first, like, where's he fit in? There's definitely a spot for him right now in the next, few months um but it will be interesting to see kind of how that shakes out as some of these guys start to come back from injury yeah i I think he's a really good i think he's a really good fit and he kind of fits the mold they've had of they all they kind of they seem to bring in a guy not necessarily from a big team right they're guys they're almost kind of a selling club in that way with Mane moving on to something bigger and better right Liverpool fans don't want to hear that, and that's not a shot at them. But, you know, that's exactly what happened. Mane wanted the new challenge, and Bayern Munich was standing there like, yep, come on, bud. We got you. We need you to somehow replace Robert Lewandowski, which is not something I think any of us (laughs) would have pegged him for. But um, I think he fits in really well on the left there. I think he fits really well into this attack because he's kind of a versatile guy who can play it back and forth and do a lot of different things. He's weirdly surprisingly tall every time I see him. He's like over six feet tall, which I don't know how that'll fit in at, uh, as a Liverpool winger. But um, I, I really like the move. I think they got him for a really good price. Yeah, I think the price was great for them. Um, it's a price I don't like to look at it as a fan of a rival team. But yeah, I, I thought they came in pretty lower, like we were talking going into the World Cup, that after the tournament he had, he might have doubled his price tag. But that seems not to have been the case. United might have paid more in the summer for him than they did. Yeah. And, and I think, uh, you know, it's nice for you to say something about a Liverpool signing being reasonably priced. Cause boy, have I heard you say the opposite, um, <laughs> they're leaving it out somehow. 
Well, yeah, man. I mean, but they usually do moves like this where it's like, oh, they got him for 20 million less than people thought, and it was already done. So kind of a classic Liverpool move. Now, the exact opposite end of that spectrum, according to reports, might be um, what <laughs> what uh, Shakhtar Donetsk are saying that Arsenal is going to have to pay for Mikhailio Mudrik, who has been fantastic for them. But um, I'm looking at his transfer mark page right now. He's valued at $40 million. That obviously is normally something that's going to be beat on the transfer fee. But I saw a quote from a sporting director at Donetsk that was basically saying that, well, if Liverpool's paying $100 million for Darwin Nunez, he's better than Darwin Nunez. So <laughs> you better buck up, Arsenal. Now, I'm sure that's part of that's just negotiations and they won't end up at $100 million, But doesn't look like Shakhtar is giving away this guy for any type of discount to Arsenal. Um, he's been pretty heavily linked there. Uh, another left winger similar to Gakpo. I think he'd be a really good fit potentially though that creates a bit of a log gem for them as martinelli's been so good on the left i don't know if he plays central or something but uh what were your thoughts on this potential transfer it's the hot one of the week right now Andrew. yeah that that's the hot one of the week there um i think he's much more similar to um when you talk about like the log gem like at our at liverpool I, I don't think that's the case especially with injuries right now right now it definitely creates more of a problem not a problem but from a log jam perspective, right? Like Saka needs to start every game. Martinelli needs to start every game. Odegaard needs to start every game. Emil Smith Rowe, I don't know what's going on with him, but he doesn't play. Right? He's like coming back he, from injury right now. No, I, I know, but like where's he going to play? Oh yeah, right? good point. Like Niketia should keep playing at this point. And none of those guys are really strikers, right? And why would you mess with what's literally winning you the league right now? So I don't know, like if Arsenal's going to start paying, you know, 60, 70, 80 million dollars for young players who are not going to play for them when their whole thing right now is we have young wingers, right? It's, it's like a move of like, man, we have all these cheap young wingers. What should we do? Want to pay a hundred million dollars for a young winger who like if he's better than Saka and Martinelli definitively, then they should pay 200 million for him because I think those two are two of the best young wingers in the world, right? Yeah, it's the type of move where it's kind of tough to judge. And it's like we we obviously not in the room, as I say before. Like we're, we don't have a grip on this thing, how it is, how this team's chemistry is. It's the type of thing that could – like you could see it going bad, like upsetting the apple cart type of thing. If it's – you know, if they bring him in and his left wing – like left wing is his preferred position where, like I said, Martinelli typically plays there. And Martinelli is getting bumped into like the nine or something – is Martinelli happy about that? Is it not clicking the same way as it has been all year? Like these are just things like you, you don't, if I'm Arsenal, like you want to bring something in, I think, yeah, you want to bolster. It's like, it's like an American sports where you have a team that's really firing or something. And at the trade deadline, you want to go in and get like in a baseball, get it like another reliever to just kind of like short. Right, get a left-handed bat. Get, yeah, yeah. Get a left-handed bat, like around the margin type, like type of thing. I think, if I was an Arsenal fan, it, it's tough to say. Soccer is a lot different where it's you uh, look, he's one of the Mudrick's one of the most promising young attackers mm-hmm. in the world right now. If you have a chance to get him, I think it's tough to say no to that. But it, Arsenal's really playing with like house money here, and I wouldn't want to really throw my squad into a little bit of chaos of trying to figure it out or like 
if he comes in and he's not starting right away. But if they're paying $80 million for him, you have to play him, basically, is how I feel about it if you're Arsenal. Right. You're not like City well, who can pay $100 million for Grealish and put him on the bench. And the other thing that, that brings up to me is, like, when was the last time Arsenal made a big money move for a striker or for an attacking? Like, I mean, they brought in Jesus, but wasn't he free? Wasn't he not like not a big money move? You would know better like, than I would, I guess. I believe it was about thirty million or something. Thirty million, right? That's like the most they've spent on attack because they've got they bought Martinelli in real cheap, right? Saka's homegrown. Like Arsenal's got such a good thing going right now. Like if you're gonna spend the cash, right? Like which they haven't done, but if you're gonna spend a hundred mil in January. I think it should be to bring in Zhao Felix. I think it should be to bring in someone who fills the Gabriel Jesus sized hole in your lineup rather than put, you know, sure up the bench, right? Because if you're going to bring in a guy for, if you're going to bring in a guy for 65 million, right? Let's just say they get him for 65 million, right? Transfer market says 40. If you're bringing in a guy for 65 million, 80 million, whatever it is, I agree with you. You have to play that guy. And what I would do right now is make sure Saka's happy. Right. Because I feel like, you know, if you're a team like Real Madrid or somebody like that and you're looking at a winger here in the next couple of years, Saka's near the top of the list. And I think Martinelli, like I know he just re-upped with you guys, but you're gonna assign him to a long term deal and then bring in a guy like to compete with him in that way. I especially at the similar age profile doesn't doesn't do a lot for me. Yeah, I think um the Mudrick thing, it's going to be interesting. Like I said, if you're getting one of the best young players in this position in the world, uh, it's tough to say no to that. But I, I, I'm i very skeptical of how that looks if that does come to fruition. But um, only time will tell. And as a City fan, I would be okay with it potentially upsetting the apple cart because <laughs> I need to make up a few points. But yeah. um, It's between upsetting the apple cart and then like, oh, I really don't want them to bring in another good attacker. Like. <laughs> This might be a problem in the future, but uh, in the now, I could deal with it. But um, it's a problem speaking of, yeah, speaking problems of in uh, problems in the now, uh, we just referenced it a little bit before, but I'm sure you got a little more on it with a couple of rumors and stuff. Uh, anything maybe in the works for Chelsea trying to solve this uh, Reese James shaped elephant in the room? Yeah, there's there's talk about uh, Juranovic, uh, who plays for Celtic and played for Croatia. In the World Cup, he was actually the right back name to like the all tournament team for them, with or all tournament team for like the World Cup, right? So, um, not a nobody in Celtics, a good sized team. Um, the rumor is you can get him for like eight million, and I was like, even if we spend eight million and never play him, Chelsea does that on a bad day, they lose eight million in the couch cushions. So, if they want to bring in somebody like that to sure up and at least give you a true right back option, um, I think that's I think that's huge. Um, so I, something like that, the dream of like bringing in like a Pedro Poro or somebody like, you know, someone young attacking right back who can really play that position and give James kind of a similar thing to like Chilwell and Cucurella have on the right side. Um, I don't know that that's far. That's a little far fetched, I think, right now, but absolutely need a body over there. Right. And I'd love to get somebody as experienced and played really well you know, kind of shutting down Vinicius or playing well against Brazil. It's more than you can say for a lot of right backs. Yeah. And it's like the tough type of thing with, um, I'm not willing to go to the point of calling Reese James injury prone yet. He's had a very unlucky year though. And he's, he's so, so good. And he's such a crucial part of that team where 
you need good depth behind him. Like you need good depth at if you're going to contend for titles and stuff, obviously you need good depth at every position, but mm-hmm. you kind of have to just toe that line of like, okay, this, it has to be somebody that's comfortable to come in and be a backup, which is typically like a younger guy or something, but you can't go blowing your load on like a $50 million backup right back. It's just not smart business. Well, we don't do smart business. What we do is we pay $80 million for Mark Cucurella, and he's playing almost every week because the guy we have is English, a very good left back, and maybe injury prone. So uh, that's just me trying to talk myself into Todd Bowley writing an $80 million check to sporting, and we bring in Pedro Porro, who's, who I would really love to have over there. Um, talk about a couple of just other things. There's talk about another center back. Uh, Badia Chile, Benoit Badia Chile. Maybe I'm saying that wrong from Monaco. Um, if you've ever done a career mode, you do know his name. You may not know how to say it, but he's the very tall, left footed center back, um, usually available on the cheap. Um, I think they'd love to bring him in. And then they've made some moves for uh, David Satro Fofana, you know, bringing in a Nor- an Ivorian guy playing for Molde in. Uh, um, in the Norway. Norwegian league. Thank you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The Norwegian league. And they're making moves for youngsters, but time to shore up the actual team here, Todd. Just a quick question uh, before we move on from the transfer stuff. Is um is Todd Bowley, true or false, he is trying to consolidate all the Fofanas in world football onto one team. It's a great strategy. Um it's a great, great strategy. Uh trying to or achieving? Because he's doing it right now. I don't know. I don't Two think down. I've seen a Fafana move to a new team since Todd Bowley's bought the team. There has been zero non-Chelsea Fofana movement. Well, I'd, I'd love to. <laughs> yeah. I'm going to blindly. That midfielder from uh, France who got something just off the right. bench. Come on down, baby. I'm going to blindly follow you and say that you're correct. But, like, I don't know. There are, if you search the name Fofana on, like, FIFA at any point. There's about sixty of them. So right. and most of them are going to be still here, Todd. Yep. <laughs> a lot of work still to do, Todd, but we shall see. Um but yeah, I think that kind of rounds out the transfer thing, man. And um just to kind of round out this episode really quick, this will be our last episode in the year twenty twenty two. And um, you know, we've only been on the airwaves here for about two months of it, but wow. been a really crazy soccer year i mean for us in particular getting this all launched and having this venture going it's been a lot of fun there's been a lot of crazy games a lot of crazy moments great moments sad moments happy moments um anything in particular i asked you maybe if you had anything in particular earlier to come up with a couple things that really stood out to you this year that you really enjoyed uh why don't you hit me with a couple of them andrew yeah man um this year like from a club football perspective they fired the guy who won the Champions League for them. Uh, the owner last year, in the last year, um, had to sell the team. The highly successful Roman Abramovich was forced out. We got the Los Angeles Dodgers owner. Um, I'm really actually glad we didn't have the podcast then because all we had was me texting Spencer every day that if uh, Tom Ricketts, the owner for the Cubs, my baseball team, buys Chelsea, I'm going to have an aneurysm. Because I think he's one of the worst owners in sports. So um, I, guess, I guess good on you guys for missing all that. Because that was absolutely coming your way <laughs> once or twice a week. Um, so it's just been a crazy year. And then I think like 
the thing I have loved most this year is the World Cup and the USA being part of it. I think is like the biggest thing I had. Um, yeah, I, I don't know that I have a specific moment, but um, actually, you know what I do? It's the qualifying against it's that last eight minutes of horrible stress against Iran to make it to the next round. Right. And then getting on the pot here with you and being able to just talk about it and everything else. It's, it's been the best, I think the best part of the year, Spencer, you've had a more successful uh, club football campaign and we've enjoyed the same USMNT success. What was your best part of the year? Um, I, I bought a couple like sad things to the table too, because uh, I can make us both sad here. And that's, it's been a trying year of Champions League football for both of our clubs. Obviously, we're both moving on to the next round, so we'll see how that goes in 23. But Real Madrid just absolutely ripping both of our hearts out back-to-back rounds and then ripping a good friend of ours, Zach. Shout out, Zach. Liverpool supporter rips their his heart out in the final. So they just went for the whole trifecta of us three, um, just back-to-back-to-back of absolute Oh, just crushing defeats, crushing defeats. Um, again, didn't have the podcast at that point. So you missed me texting Andrew and just saying, you know what? We're <laughs> never going to, we're never going to win the champions league. And I'm okay with it. I just, I went through about, you know, all whatever it is, five stages of grief and about three or four days with Andrew, but didn't have this outlet to put that out. So we had some <laughs> low moments like that, but um, there's been some high moments too, obviously, I, I talked about it a little bit the other day on the pod, but that game against Villa where City come back from 2-0 down to win the title, that was uh, just crazy high moment. That was so awesome. Um, more recently, obviously, it's tough to not pick out the World Cup final. That World Cup final oh. is going to be rent-free in my head forever. Um, as you referenced, basically... Uh, a weird thing from the World Cup, like a moment that just stands out to me. I don't know if it's the call by John Strong, but I just, I, I, it's literally, I tweeted it out last week that it's just rent free in my head is that Tim Weah goal against Wales. Yeah. Weah! Oh, just, it was a great call. I didn't like that John Strong used the same call for Mbappe scoring. It was Mbappe. And I was like, oh, that's his on. call. Can't be a, man. That's, that's his move. Can't be a one trick pony. Come on, John. Got to get a couple Anybody more. Anybody who's ever played for PSG gets that call. If you're an elite PSG attacking player, that's the call you get from John Strong. It's just how fair. it's done. Fair. But um, obviously those things are really cool. Um, one thing I thought of too, just a little bit of a kind of different story. Um, I had to go back and make sure this was in 2022, was Christian Eriksen returning to the Premier League after what happened last year at the Euros uh, earlier this year with Brentford. That was really cool. Um, that was a really cool moment, just having him back. Didn't love him moving to United and stuff. Makes me have to root against him as a competitor, but just as a person. Right. Uh, what a story of perseverance that was. Um, a lot of stuff's happened this year, man. Like I was going through like a little timeline because I wanted to jog my memory and I'm leaving out a shitload of stuff, but it's been a crazy year. Holland signing for City. I didn't even bring that up. Like what a great day that was for me. You definitely had some... Uh... Some moments we've absolutely had some ups and downs. I think I covered most of the ups and downs and presented it as a, uh, you know, kind of an all over Todd Bowley's running the show. So I guess it's a, a good thing. But 
Um, lots of moments of uncertainty. Chelsea certainly lost enough guys for free or for nothing that the team doesn't look the same. Um, like Tony Rudiger is the one that really hurts because I feel like he was the heart of this team for the last couple of years. Um, not to bring it to another Chelsea centric thing, but like, I, I honestly, I will say like the thing I've enjoyed most this year, soccer wise is, is starting up this podcast is having talking about this every week with you working on stuff there, man. Um, it's been an absolute blast and I'm, I'm happy to continue doing it. Yeah, we're definitely, I'd, I'd say the same on the same wavelength here, having the pod, having an outlet to, you know, not just, text you long paragraphs about how Real Madrid have ruined my life and made me question everything about my allegiances. Um, I have an outlet to just vent it next time when that happens inevitably again, because I still do just kind of concede the fact that I just don't think that City's ever going to win the Champions League. And I, as I said earlier, show me State, show me they'll win the Champions League. I'll root for them the entire way, but I've just decided to not have my heart torn out again, which is obviously a lie because when we get to the semifinals or whatever and we have a terrifying loss i'll be on here in 2023 probably crying into the microphone but um we'll keep all enjoy we'll keep soldiering ahead and we'll be there to bring it to you guys going forward is because we're just powering into 2023 yes sir yes sir um yeah I, i know this is a this is a sad part of the podcast where the city fan and the Chelsea fan talk about what a sad year they've had. It's like, nah, really things are pretty good. Uh, we recovered as good as we can. And you've got your uh, favorite Norwegian in the whole world to call, call your own for at least another six months. Um, so that being said, man, I think unless you got anything else, uh, I think I'm about ready to get out of here. Yeah. I think we're uh nice and tidy to wrap this thing up. Uh, We'll be back to you guys early next week sometime in early 2023 and um, talk about these fixtures over the weekend that we have. Um, but, yeah, otherwise, I think we're all good to get out of here, Andrew. Uh, have a happy new year. Any big plans? Uh, some mutual friends of ours are, I mean, if Southwest can get it together, still planning on coming into town for a wedding here. So I'll get to uh, get to see them and hang out. But other than that, making sure uh, my, my uh, yeah, just, just hanging out. What about you? Uh, I've just decided to just go complete old guy mode this year. I, actually, we thought about going to a party or something, but the wife's come down with a bit of a bug. Oh. And if you uh, live with your significant other anywhere where you're listening, you know that inevitably that thing is coming for me at some point in the next few days. So I'm preemptively just deciding to sit at home, maybe watch the ball drop, have a glass of champagne on my couch and just hang out with the wife and the dog and, Ring in 2023 that way. Up early for that Premier League set Sunday morning. <laughs> Something uh, like that. I'm committed. So yeah, <laughs> we just I'll probably I'll probably waking up super early that day. So yeah, I'll just be tired by midnight. Just watch the ball drop or whatever. Wait the extra hour till central time when it hits, and then just probably tuck in, call it a night. That is such a weird thing we do every year. It's like, ah, oh, you know, happy new year as someone else on central time. And then we sit around and wait for new years for another hour. Uh, always a weird end to the night, but Hey man, uh, I think, uh, I think we're good to go here, buddy. Yeah. Let's uh, wrap it up here. Just real quick guys. Thanks for listening. We love you guys. Thank you for helping us get off the ground this year. Please continue to grow with us in 2023 as we keep coming at you. Um, follow us, uh, 
follow the podcast, give us a like, a five-star rating, a review. All that really, really helps us out. Tell your friends. We've been seeing the numbers tick up in some certain areas of the country. Shout out Seattle. Shout out Seattle. Oh, my gosh. That's uh, awesome to see. We're getting some listeners out there. So uh, if you're in Seattle or wherever you're listening from, tell your friends. uh, Tell them to give us a listen. Check us out. Follow us on Twitter. We are just rolling the memes out still on Twitter, just buzzing on there. So at Fish Fries Pod, give us a look on there. And like I said, we'll just keep firing at you guys going into 2023 with a lot of momentum. And we're going to keep her going, Andrew. But uh, otherwise, let's call it a night tonight and get this baby out for the peoples. Yes, sir. Well, I I appreciate it, Spencer. See you, buddy. Take it easy, pal.